Well, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here tonight with uh, John Celestan. John was a member of the 99-2000 NBA championship team with the Lakers. John, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Jeff, how about yourself, man? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Everything's going great over here. So like I was saying, this is a podcast for fans to listen to, to catch up with some Lakers from the past. So uh, one of the first questions I like to ask is how did you get started with basketball? What made you get into the game, and when did you realize you had a future in it? Yeah, um, well, I, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. I, I kind of did a, a little bit of my childhood in New Orleans, and then I moved to New Jersey uh, when I was around 11 years old. But when I was in New Orleans, uh, which is a big football city, um, you know, I played a lot of football. But I had a neighbor. Um, his name was Corey Echoes. He's about two doors down from me. He had a hoop in his backyard. Mm-hmm. And um, myself, a couple of my friends, we used to go back there. He, even when he wasn't home, he let us use his backyard and play. And I was like the smallest guy out there, so I was probably one of the worst players. But I really enjoyed playing basketball. And uh, we also used to play a lot after school uh, in New Orleans at my school. And we would play after school until our parents came to pick us up on a bus or wherever, however you were getting home. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't think I really realized that I had like a future until I really I moved to New Jersey. Because when I moved to New Jersey, that was when I started to play organized basketball around 11 years old. And, I, you know, when I moved to New Jersey, I was one of the best players in the, uh, in the league, in the recreation league. Uh, I played in the league in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Um, and and that, that's when I really thought, okay, well, maybe I wasn't thinking NBA or anything, but maybe I can go and play and be a good varsity high school basketball player and possibly maybe get a scholarship. Uh, mm-hmm. But really, it was always like little small steps for me. The first thing was just let me make the middle school team. And then after that, can I, can I make the high school team, you know? so Cool. And uh, so I may be pronouncing this incorrectly. That was in Piscataway, New Jersey? Yes. Uh, yep. I went to – so I went to high school uh, and middle school in Piscataway, New Jersey. Um, we moved around a lot. My dad was an electrician. So like I said, I, I, I did my first 11 years in New Orleans. And then when we moved to New Jersey, we kind of bounced around a few times, but we, a, a few towns. But we settled in Piscataway, New Jersey. And that's where I went to middle school. Uh, I played on the middle school team um, in eighth grade. I started on that team. And then freshman year, I played freshman basketball, JV, and some no varsity ninth grade year. And then 10th grade year at Piscataway High School is when I started on the varsity team. And so that's around the time where I really started to say, okay, I can be pretty good at this game. Um, I think I made the all-county team as a sophomore. And then uh, after that, my goal was just to be an all-state player, and I ended up making first-team all-state as a junior and senior. Oh, wow. Uh, did you play with yeah. any other uh, future NBA players on your team or even play against some guys in your high school career? Oh, yeah. I played against some great uh, players in my high school time. Uh, New Jersey, as you know, is one of the best states for basketball. Um, I actually played against two of my uh, future teammates that end up becoming NBA uh, players. Uh, one was Tim Thomas. You know, I played against him. And uh, in New Jersey, it's called the Tournament of Champions. So all the state champions get together and play against each other. Uh, and he ended up being my teammate at Villanova University when I went on to play at Villanova. I also played against Malik Allen, who played about 10, 11 years in the NBA as well. Yeah, yeah. He, played at Shawnee, yeah, he played at Shawnee High School. And he ended up being a teammate of mine at Villanova. 
Uh, so I played against those two guys and, and a bunch of other guys that were great players, maybe who didn't make the NBA. One guy was Shaheen Holloway, was a great a high school player, ended up playing at Seton Hall. He was an All-American player. Uh, the interesting thing is I played against Kobe Bryant in, in AAU when I was coming up. Uh, he and oh, I yeah. went to battle. Yeah, we went to battle um, in Florida. Kobe was actually on the team with Vince Carter and Tim Thomas and uh, a few other guys. And, yeah, I played against uh, Kobe Bryant way before we became Laker teammates. So, so in those uh, AAU games, I mean, was he the most dominant? Or I guess, he, I mean, he was also with Tim Thomas and Vince Carter. But, I mean, was there a way for you to kind of sense what he was going to no, be? We no, well, 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 we couldn't stop him. But listen, let me tell you first. First and foremost, I scored 42 points in that game. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to let you know. That I, that I put up some real numbers, um, but I think Kobe Bryant ended up with 50. You know, he, he oh, was yeah. just, he, you know, he, he, he was unstoppable. He, he was a much bigger, a big guard. He really shot free throws well. I think we put him on the line about, he, he, he must have went like 20 for 21 from the line. Um, an interesting thing, that was a game with a lot of NBA players in that game because I remember Vince Carter and Kobe Bryant and uh, I think um, – Tim Thomas, and then on my team, we played with a guy, Elton Brand, was on my oh, team. Cool. So those were a lot of guys that ended up playing, myself ended up playing in the NBA, in addition to some other players that were on the court. I think Kevin Freeman, who ended up going to UConn um, and winning a national championship with Rich Richard Hamilton, he was on that team as well, on the other team. So there were a lot of, there were a lot of great players um, back in those days in the, on the AAU circuit. Talking about AAU, what is your feeling now with, you know, youngsters coming in AAU? I know some people seem all for it and other people seem to think it may take away from the high school experience, gaining true fundamentals. What do you feel about it? Yeah, it's not the same anymore. Um, you know, I do think that it's hurting the game a little bit. Uh, one, of the, one of the major things is when we were coming up in AAU, see, AAU was kind of an elite thing, right? So when you played AAU, if you wore your AAU high school jersey to, to school, that meant you were one of the best players, not just on your high school team, but you were one of the best players in the area. Because to play AAU, that was that was an elite thing back in the day. That was like real. Now anybody can be on the AAU team. You know, um, you cannot. You can get cut from your high school team and play AAU. Yeah. And that is what I think is hurting the game because there are too many teams, there are too many games, and the levels. Um, there are too many different levels. Like you can have a team with, let's say, a Kobe Bryant and a John Summerstein on it playing against a team that, you know, everybody on the team got cut from the varsity team. So that I think that's hurting. AAU once, I think, was an elite thing, but it became too saturated. It's just too many teams, and the competition's not the same. And it is taken away from the high school game, I think. And too much money and sneaker money and, all yeah. that stuff, I think it just it just messed everything up, man. Yeah. So moving on, like from your high school career, what was your recruitment process like that led you to select Villanova as your school of choice? Yeah, I, I really was a big Big East fan. I grew up watching the Big East. You know, once I was in New Jersey, I you know I I grew up watching like Derek Coleman and Sherman Douglas at Syracuse. You know, Georgetown, those tough Georgetown teams. Uh, you know, waking up on Saturday just to watch Syracuse and Georgetown play at the Carrier Dome or at uh, where they play uh, USA Arena. You know, 
I grew up kind of on that, you know, so that was like a big deal to me. UConn with Kevin Alley and Deron Sheffer and those guys. So um, I really wanted to play in the Big East. And, and I got recruited by a lot of schools. Uh, Georgetown came on very late. Uh, Villanova was recruiting me. UConn was really heavy on me. Rutgers, which is right in my backyard, Seton Hall. Um, I had University of Florida was very heavy on me as well. Uh, but I really kind of wanted to narrow it down to the Big East schools. So I, I narrowed it down to Villanova, Rutgers, and um, U- UConn. And it it really came down to UConn and Villanova. And really, I chose Villanova because uh, we had just a great group of guys, Alvin Williams, Jason Lawson. I met those guys. I really felt like I meshed with them the best. And um, being in the city of Philadelphia, having an opportunity to play in the Big Five and all of those different colleges that were in the city, I just thought it was a it was a great opportunity for me, you know. So I ended up picking Villanova, and I, I think it was a great choice. I got a great education there. I graduated with my degree in four years. Um, we we went to the NCAA tournament three out of the four years I was there, um, yeah. and I had a really good experience. I still have some great friends from Villanova that I keep in touch with uh, outside of basketball, you know. So yeah. um, you know, and 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 we're doing and the, and the program is I think at the the best level it's been in a long time. So. Yeah, so you graduate from there in 99, and then you go to the 99 NBA draft. Uh, I think you were the 30th overall pick, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 29th. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was so, 30th pick. Yeah, 30th pick in the draft by the Lakers. So what was that uh, first training camp like for you where you're, you know, walk in, your coach is Phil Jackson, you have some veteran <laughs> teammates, and also some young superstar teammates? Yeah, it was unreal to me. Uh First, first and foremost, I grew up a Lakers fan. My dad was a big Lakers fan. Uh, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, we used to watch those guys, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, you know, and then I'd go out to the park and try to emulate what they were doing. Yeah. So uh, for me for me to play on that, to get drafted by the Lakers, for my father especially, God rest his soul, was a, was a dream come true. For me, um, it was interesting because you had to kind of block out that you were – it was surreal for me to be there, not only with Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and all these other guys I've watched, but then to have Phil Jackson, a legendary coach in his first year who had coached Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. you just feel surreal. Like, wow, the same guy that coached Michael Jordan is coaching me. You know, uh, Coach Scotty Pippen and Steve Kerr and all those guys, Bill Cartwright. So, for me, uh, I had to kind of block that out and just focus on – trying to make the team because I was a second round pick, even though I was the first pick of the second round, it wasn't a guarantee that I was going to make the team. Yeah. So I had to really go in and focus and just forget about the stargazing, you know, uh, and go there and play ball and try to make the team. And what I did, we had a lot of great guards, which is probably some of the reason I didn't play a lot. You know, we had Derek Fisher, Brian Shaw, then they brought in Ron Harper. Yeah. Uh, we already had Tyron Lou, and, um, you know, we had some good guards. So, I tried to focus on just really um, being a great defender, you know, because I knew if I could do that, get some steals, get out in transition, play some up-tempo basketball, the other stuff will come, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the reason why I made the team, because I was able to play, you know, really defend guys, get after guys, even if it was Kobe or Fisher. And in preseason, I think I proved that, um, you know, I was able to do that. So I had a pretty good preseason when I got to play, and, um, you know, Really, um, you know, the, the, the training camp for me, I, I was still didn't know if I was going to make the team. And that last day of uh, training camp, you know, they told me they were going to keep me. So I was very ecstatic about that. Oh, I bet. 
So that year, not only did you get to play with Shaq, but you got to play with Shaq at like his absolute apex that ninety nine two thousand season. Um, yeah, most individually dominant, one of the most individually dominant seasons in NBA history. So what was that like? just being a teammate for somebody going through a season like that, where it's one of the top NBA players of all time, you know, in his absolute prime, like, uh, can you, I don't even know how to, you would begin to describe it, but could you give it a shot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was unreal because you got to remember I'm a rookie. So this is all I'm seeing. Yeah. So I come right in and I'm playing with the MVP basically of the league. I had never played with a big guy with that type of talent. I never played with a player with that type of talent, you know. So, uh, you know, I and I played with some great players, even at Villanova, Kerry Kittles and Tim Thomas, to name a few, Alvin Williams, who all played in the NBA a long time. But um, Shaquille O'Neal was another level of superstar. And it, it just – you just kind of just wanted to give him the ball and get out of his way, man. That, that's pretty much all it was, you know. Uh, he was dominant. One of the things that I always tried to be careful of is whenever I had to dig – you know, we try to, as the guards, go down there and try to swipe the ball away. He just had to be careful. He didn't knock your teeth out, you know, because yeah. he was so big and strong. And so so that's kind of what I did. I just tried to stay out the way and, and, and give him the ball whenever he cut. He was such a big target. Even if you want a great passer to the, into the post, it was almost impossible not to be able to throw him the ball in the post, you know. So, um, you know, I just, I just watched his work ethic. I watched how he had to bring it every night, guys hammering them, hacking them, hack-a-shack, all kind of stuff, you know. And as many pe- people don't know this, but he was a, he, you know, he, he worked on his free throws like every day. Mm-hmm. Now, it never mm-hmm. really matriculated into him being a great free throw shooter, but he spent a lot of time trying to improve that. I, I saw him do that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, a great player, great guy, uh, very funny in the locker room. Um, and it was just, it was just a for me, more of a, uh, I, I would say just, I, I was happy to be a part of a, of a team and to play with somebody, uh, you know, at that level. Yeah, a lot of guys um, you're talking about just how what a great guy he is. And uh, a lot of guys I've talked to have really great stories of just of his generosity and everything like that. So as a huge Shaq fan, like he's my favorite player. So, so those are always really cool to hear. So you all have that dominant playoff run going to the Western Conference Finals versus Portland, go up 3-1, lose games five and six, set up that classic game seven. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, you guys are down by 15. And I you know, I was in seventh grade at that time, but I vividly remember watching that game, being so nervous when you go down 15 in the fourth quarter. Was there a lot of tension on the bench, or did, did you were the guys confident that you guys could figure it out for that game seven comeback? I, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but I wasn't. You know, um, when we were down going to the fourth quarter, I, I, I pretty much thought it was over, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because Portland was such a good team and they had such veterans like Scottie Pippen and Stoudemire and, um, you know, uh, Steve Smith. It just didn't seem like we had enough in the tank. And to be down 15 or 17, whatever it was, going to the fourth quarter against a, a veteran team like that, most times you're not coming back. Yeah, and so I, in my mind, I'm sitting on the bench thinking, man, we came this far and we're gonna lose. Like, wow, I, we were we were this close to being in the NBA Finals, and um, sure enough, man, you know, Brian Shaw hit a a big shot. Guys start knocking down some tough shots. 
Uh, I think Fish hit, the, hit a couple. And you started to see Portland just start to get tight. Mm-hmm. They started missing easy layups, easy jump shots that they would normally hit. They started getting tight. And, uh, you know, then Kobe and Shaq just went into Kobe Shaq mode, and we pulled out the victory. But I will never forget sitting on the bench thinking, I actually in my head was like, man, I got a lot of packing to do. Like, you know, I got I to gotta go back to the East Coast. I didn't – because I just wasn't – I wasn't ready to go home. I didn't even think about going home. Yeah. Yet. So I just, I just started thinking about all the things that I hadn't done because I thought it was over. <laughs> was that a alley-oop the loudest arena you've ever been in like when that happened pretty close to it yeah, yeah. uh pretty close to it that alley-oop uh i've never seen the fan the, the, the alley-oop from kobe shack that was whenever i see it replayed uh you know it, it i can still see it vividly in my mind when he when, when he crosses over and he goes down and he throws the alley-oop and shack dunks it and then he runs all the way over and you can see him slapping my hand slapping a couple guys hand off the bench yeah, uh, yeah that, that's a that's a moment that I won't ever forget. Yeah, that was uh, definitely one of the great moments in Lakers history, for sure. Uh, yeah. So y'all go on win the title in uh, versus Indiana that series, or I mean that season, win the title versus Indiana. Um, so was there a chance for you to return uh, that next year, or was just um, did you go to training camp again with the Lakers? Well, I did. I ended up going to training camp with the Knicks the next year. Um, one of the things was uh, the next year they weren't guaranteeing me a, a contract. So I was going to basically have to go through the same thing I went through the last year to kind of make the team again. And, uh, you know, for me, it just seemed like, okay, I had spent a year there and I thought I had played enough, played well enough when I got a chance to play to show mm-hmm. what I could do. Um, and I knew we had a lot of guys coming back and a lot of guards. So I just, I just thought, you know, being on the East Coast, having a chance to go and try with the Knicks, I thought that that would be a better situation for me to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Ty Lue, Derek Fisher, Brian Shaw, Ron Harper, and Kobe all at the guard spot. And one of the things that I realized is that sitting on the bench that for most of that year, I think I only played in about 17, 18 games, it, it really it really hit my confidence a little bit. Not that I couldn't play, but when you, when you sit for so, such a long period of time and you've never sat that long, yeah. it's hard. You know, you're not practicing like college where it's full speed. You're not getting those reps in the mm-hmm. NBA because, you know, guys are playing every night. Guys can't practice at that level. So I couldn't foresee myself going through that again and keeping my confidence and being able to play at a high level, which is why I chose to uh, go and try out with some other teams. And I ended up with the Knicks, and they released me. And then I ended up with Dallas, and I got released the day before the season. I was the last guy I cut. So oh, after wow. that, I ended up going – yeah, I ended up going over to Europe. Yeah, yeah I was reading about uh, your overseas career and all those teams you played with over there and saw that, um, you know, you're, you're retired fairly young for an athlete, like at 28. What was the decision yeah. that you to, you know, quit playing and look to get into other things? Yeah, well, for me, it was more of a, a family issue, you know, uh, stuff I wanted to do with, my, with myself. Like, I was 28 years old. I had played about six years over in Europe. And for me, you know, it was really like, okay, how long do I want to play? Do I want to go another five, six years and then be 35 or, or, you know, and retire and have to start over with a new resume and never having a job? Or do I want to stop now? And that was a hard decision for me. But one of the things is Hurricane Katrina happened around that time. 
And yeah. I had a lot of family members that were, um, have been affected by that. Mm-hmm. And so I had a cousin that was staying up in New Jersey with me. My dad was all over the place. And I just didn't, I, I was trying to make the decision, should I go back over to Europe and play? And I just didn't feel comfortable just getting on a plane, flying out with everybody else scattered, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I'm originally from New Orleans, so all my family was all over the place. And that is around a time where I was like, well, maybe it's time for me to sit up, hang it up a little bit. Maybe try to take a year off, see what it's like as a civilian, basically, or as somebody who's not an athlete. And maybe if I don't like it, I'll go back, you know, and I go back and I'll try to play. And what happened was I just started, you know, I got a normal job. I started working. I saw how hard it was to start at the very bottom after being an athlete. And I said, I don't know if I want to wait till I'm 35 to, to start this transition, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, that was, that was, I made kind of a, a life decision more than a, a basketball decision, you know? That's interesting. Um, so do you think that's one of the biggest challenges former athletes face when they retire, either, you know, whether when it's their choice or when it's not their choice, like what they're going to do next? Like how, yeah. how do you, you guys going about that? I think that's the big, that's one of the biggest challenges. You know, some guys get into broadcasting or they get into coaching. That's an easy transition, you know, uh, but there's only a few amount of slots when it comes to broadcasting or coaching, right? So if you're not going to do those things, to transition into the regular world, especially if you haven't made 20, 30, 40 million dollars in your career, right? So yeah. Especially those mid-level guys, like guys like myself who played one or three years in the league, you know? It's tough, man, uh, to go out into the real world, especially if people still know who you are, they remember your playing days, and if you get a corporate job or you start your own business, it's just anticlimactic, you know? Um, and a lot of guys, struggle not hearing the ball bounce and having the adulation of the crowd or not being on a schedule where you're practicing every day, traveling the country, you know, you just wake up like everyone else. And that is not the, that's not the life of an athlete. It's not what you know. Uh, So it's very hard. It's very difficult to work for someone to have someone tell you what to do when you got to be there. You know, nothing's exciting like playing in front of 20,000 people, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's a tough transition mentally, emotionally for everyone. And especially when you're used to spending, a, you know, a large amount of money and used to getting paid in big chunks of cash. And now all of a sudden, that's not what you're making anymore. That's, and you're not hanging with people that do that anymore. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's one of the toughest things I went through in my life. And, yeah. and I only played one year in the NBA and five or six years overseas, right? So these yeah. guys that play like 10, 15 years, it has to be even that much harder, you know? For sure. And then, I mean, you even had, like you said, you stayed in school all four years and graduated. And, you know, now so right. many guys, one and dones or who might just stay two years, they don't really have, you know, all that experience right. that the college education will get them. So I've never, it's cool to right. hear a first-person account about that because um, you read about that type of stuff all the time. But to hear your experience was really interesting. Yeah, there's no there's no real pamphlet or there's no class for that. You know, there's no no everybody I've talked to, nobody I've never heard anybody say, "Oh, yeah, it was easy. I just transit." You know, it's it's always been difficult. And I I grew up around a lot of basketball players, a lot of guys um in New Jersey from Eric Murdoch to Anthony Avent to you know guys uh, Jay Williams, you know guy from around my way. 
it's a lot of guys in this in the area that I grew up in the you know a lot of basketball players and I haven't heard one person say it was an easy transition yeah I can't imagine um but one last question for you that some laker fans will probably enjoy you know maybe the dozen or so who will listen to this i'm looking at the 99 2000 uh complete roster of the lakers guys who played in at least one regular season game there are 15 names including you how many of those can you name i'm thinking i can name i'm hoping i can name all of them that would be obviously kobe Shaq, uh tyron lu devin george Derek Fisher, A.C. Green, Robert Ory, Travis Knight, Sam Jacobson. Yep. Uh, um, John Sally, Rick Fox, A.C. Green. Did I say A.C. Green already? Yeah, the, yeah, you had already said him, yeah. Uh, am I leaving anybody else? Ron Harper. Let me see. I'll, I'll give you a quick count. That's one, two. You've got 12 of the 15, and well, including you. Okay. So, yeah, you need. Uh, so, there's. Okay, John, 13. I'm missing two, huh? I'm missing two, I'm yeah. I'm missing two. Who could I be? I say Rick, Rick Fox, Fisher, AC Green, John Sally. Oh, man. Ty Lou. Who am I missing? <laughs> uh, They're both good shooters. I'll give you that hint. Oh, man. How can I forget Glenn Rice? Yeah. Glenn Rice, yeah. <laughs> That's that. Glenn, if Glenn listens to this, he'll be so mad at me. Glenn Rice. Oh, man. I don't know who. And Brian Shaw. There you yeah. go. Yeah, there did you I, go. Did I, did I mention Brian? Yeah. You did, yeah. Those are the guys, man. That's everybody. <laughs> I asked uh, Devin George the same question. I think he forgot. I think, the only, I think he only forgot Rick Fox somehow, but that's who he forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dev's a good guy, man. Me and Dev, we spent a lot of time together. We lived in the same building. We went out, we hung out a lot, went through a lot of trials, tribulations together. That, that was my guy. We 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 were both rooks the same year, carrying bags and running errands for the, a lot of the veterans, you know. Oh yeah, I was just about to ask, were there any a lot of rookie uh, hazing or rookie things you had to do with Devin yeah. George? Yeah, more hazing than I would like to remember. Okay. <laughs> Cool, cool. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time, John. It was a lot of fun getting to hear about your Laker career, and obviously you going into what professional athletes face after retirement was really interesting as well. Best of luck with everything, and uh, thanks again for coming on the Forgotten Lakers podcast. No problem. Thank you very much.